Hello friends and welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we seek to reconcile human experiences with God and His Word so that we can love God and others from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. I do not have an interview with anybody this week. I have several interviews scheduled coming up, but I, the way it worked out um, to actually do the interviews, there, they, there was kind of a space between weeks here and so today I just thought for this week maybe I will just share some of my experience in being in Bible college so far so I was thinking of different angles I could take to do this and I thought well you know maybe initially the first thing I thought of was maybe I'll talk about the surprises that I've bumped into in Bible college and then when I think about the surprises and it's like well you know if you just talk about the surprises then maybe people will wonder if it's any helpful and so I thought well I'll talk about surprises and then the way it has shaped me for the good and then as I thought about that I was like but there's also been some struggles with it and so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna start off with the way Bible college has impacted me for the good. It's changed the way, not only the way I see scripture and study scripture, but it's also changed me as a person and so in good ways. And, and so I'll talk about that a little bit. And then I'll talk about three, I don't know if they're the three biggest surprises. They're just the three surprises that came to my head as I was thinking about this um, pretty quickly. They are a little scary <laughs> to share publicly. But I just thought maybe it could be helpful to um, share some of the uh, inside experience of going through Bible college without getting too, I don't know, heady or whatever. And then if you, if you would like, for the expanded version of this podcast, uh, our Patreon members, I'm going to share uh, the two biggest challenges that I've dealt with in being involved in Bible college. Now to kind of set the stage for this, I have I started Bible college in 2018. My orientation was the day that my son Cadman happened to be born, so I missed the orientation and started the spring semester of 2018, so January, the end of January. And I have been going through Bible college every semester except for the fall semester a year ago. I took off just due to some burnout and stage of life that we were in. Um, so yeah, what is that? This is the fall of 2022. So seven semesters, I think. Am I counting right? Or is that, okay. Spring of 2018, and then two in 2019, two in 2020, one in 2021, and now two. So eight, eight semesters, sorry to count that out for you. But, so technically that should give me a degree. Uh, the degree I am pursuing is, the it's called, it's got a real fancy title, a Bachelor's of Biblical Studies, I'm sorry, a Bachelor's of Biblical and Cultural Exegesis. It started out as a Bachelor's of Biblical Studies and then they renamed it a couple years ago. And largely that's because not only, we're not just doing biblical studies. We are doing that, walking through the text of Scripture. But we're also doing historical and cultural studies alongside of that, which has been almost as impactful as the biblical studies itself. In fact, I would say like doing the two simultaneously has been really... Um, I don't think either one would have had quite the impact on me had I been doing them by themselves, but to, to do kind of this historical, well, it's kind of two different historical and cultural, like historical and cultural studies simultaneously with biblical studies is a really powerful experience. And I don't think it would have had quite the same impact on me had I just done either one of them by themselves. So that's a, that's a bachelor's is just a four year degree. But I've been taking it, I started out more or less full-time, um, the, uh, the beginning of 2021 and the beginning to the beginning of this year, so for three semesters. 
I or two, I guess, because I skipped the fall last year. I I cut way back and was just doing one to two classes a semester. This year I picked it back up. I'm doing nine credits. It's that's still not full time, but um, that's yeah. Pretty much you figure nine times three, that's how much study time you have to figure for in a week. So 27, I never get 27 hours of study time in a week, but um, hence I tend to work from behind more often than from ahead. But that's kind of the, just to give a rough idea of how much time this demands and takes in order to in order to have a good experience with it. So that's kind of the overview of, of what I've been doing. I, I think most of you have probably been familiar with that. Some of you have started following me in recent years and may not be as familiar with my studies. And that's okay. Um, I Yeah, it's just basically I've, I felt, Teresa and I have both felt called into ministry of some kind we spent a couple years overseas we spent so far most of our marriage in a church plant setting and love the city love people and discipling people but there there came a time back in uh, 2014 2015 where I just really felt a need for more training and we lack so we come from conservative Anabaptist churches and both of us are fairly um, experienced with ministry in conservative Anabaptist settings and we lack we, t- we tend to have really good hearts and want to help people and we and so we jump into missions we jump into different ways of serving but we lack and I'm speaking broadly as a people we lack good training and I think that is slowly changing especially in other regards um, you know medical training other professional training and where it's maybe not changed quite as much is in higher education theologically and in biblical studies maybe that's slowly changing as well but um, that it was kind of a burden for that that like if I'm going to be discipling people I want to know that I'm studying, that I'm discipling them well, and that I, I'm not just kind of whiffing it. And especially when you get into difficult questions, and it's like, well, I've, I've never asked this before. I never, um, yeah, I don't know what to tell people who are asking these questions. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the origin story of what led me to pursue biblical studies. I had heard about Eternity Bible College in Southern California several years before. Um, I don't remember exactly when. It started in 04. I think I had probably heard about it around 2012, 2011, somewhere in there. And I always thought that if if I would go to Bible college, I would want to go there. And there were two two big things that stood out to me about it. Actually, three. Three big things. Um, yeah, I'll be a little bit like Solomon here. There are two. Nay, there are three. Um, <laughs> the the two big things, first of all, was their approach to studying the Bible. And, and that is a biblical theology where you start like the whole you study the Bible and you start by grasping the story of scripture and then you walk through the text um, from Genesis to Revelation. And as it was theologically designed, uh, according to the Hebrew canon in the Old Testament, um, and not just necessarily, well, I mean, I I think the Old Testament structure, the Hebrew canon is, is really valuable because you don't like the way our English Bibles are set up. You have chronicles following kings, for example, and that feels very redundant and can kind of miss some of the 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 difference in messaging because your your brain kind of blanks out and so forth. Um, so that's one example where where there's a, a difference in the Hebrew canon as opposed to the English canon, 
And so I, I like that approach because it, it brings out the story a little easier than, than just going through redundancy. I mean, the Hebrew canon Chronicles ends the Old Testament. So you don't have it right after Kings. It's actually after Malachi. And so that's how it's slightly different. Um, in the in the New Testament, uh, I don't know what they would call the way they structure. A lot of it is is um, combined by the authors. So we studied Luke and Acts together. That's one class. Uh, John, the literature of John, is another class. Everything except Revelation has its own class. So there's different things clumped together. Matthew and Mark were one class together, and. Um, so then you have missionary epistles, pastoral epistles, prison letters, like those are all clumped together in classes. And you can take those, like you, there's not any particular order that you have to take them, but you do have to take the background, so Old Testament background, as well as Old Testament overview. You have to take that before you start any of the in-depth Bible studies and same thing for the New Testament. So before I started any books of the New Testament, we took a New Testament background class as well as a New Testament overview class. So yeah, that's kind of some of the structure. Um, seems like there was something else I was going to say in that regard. But oh, the I'm talking about the <laughs> things I liked about EBC. And so, yeah, the, the biblical study approach, as opposed to a systematic theo theological approach, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but a lot of Bible colleges and seminaries will have more of a systematic approach. And so you study creation, you study the doctrine of creation, you study the doctrine of salvation, you study the doctrine of angels or angelology, you study ecclesiology, like those may be different classes but this is, it's more of a biblical study approach. We're studying the Bible and we're discussing each of those doctrines or each of those topics as we bump into them throughout Scripture. I really appreciate that. I don't know that there's anything wrong with a systematic approach as long as they're doing good biblical study. And some of, like, before Bible college, when I heard things like biblical study or whatever, I just thought it was a way of saying like this is more Bible, like true to the Bible. And sadly, like sometimes that is what people are saying, you know, a biblical view of manhood and womanhood. Well, that's basically a way of saying, you know, you're, you're, um, th this is the true manhood, womanhood. But in academia, when you see a biblical theology of manhood and womanhood or biblical theology of justice you know something like that that has a specific intention behind it there's a specific structure to developing a biblical theology and so i i do believe that if we're going to do systematic theological studies it should be grounded in a biblical theology study that is starting from genesis and kind of the Torah, you, you see that theme or that doctrine developed in the Torah. Then you go to the writings, which would be, I'm sorry, the prophets, which would be um, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all the way through uh, Malachi. Well, I, all the way through. It'd be the, it would include the prophets. In, according to the English canon, we have, we have the law. And then history, the books of history, and then major prophets, minor prophets, and then um, I'm not sure what Psalms and Proverbs are called. Po poetry? Um, but in the Hebrew canon, there's just three sections. There's the Torah, which is the law, and then the prophets, which is much broader. It would include the books of a lot of the books of history. And then you have the writings, which would include like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Daniel, Esther. And the idea is you have the law, and then you have the the prophets, which are the, the prophets are evaluating Israel's faithfulness to the law. And then you have the writings, 
which demonstrate how the people of Yahweh followed the law in foreign contexts. So that's kind of a rough sketch of, of what what the difference is between the Hebrew canon. So if you're doing a biblical theology of something, you're gonna you're gonna trace how that theme is developed in the Torah, in the writings, in the prophets, in the writings, and then in the New Testament, maybe you might break down the New Testament like in the Gospels and then in Paul's letters or whatever. Uh, there's various ways of breaking it down in the New Testament. But if you see something that's a biblical theology of something, you're going to want to see that structure. Like, is this developed in the, in the Torah, in the prophets, in the writings, in the New Testament? And if they don't really interact with it that thoroughly, then it's not a true biblical theology. It's more, uh, you know, honing in, zeroing in on one aspect of biblical theology. And so, so I think, yeah, systematic theology is, is great as long as it's grounded in a good biblical study. And I appreciate the biblical approach that EBC, Eternity Bible College, gives. The other thing that drew me to them was their their whole goal is to have Bible college that's affordable so that you can go into ministry, go into missions without debt. And so it's it's very cheap. It's the cheapest way to get this type of Bible training that I know of, that I'm aware of, and it's really good, solid training. It's fully accredited. And then the third thing that attracted me was their connection. They, they require you to be involved in some sort of ministry. That's a little, like I've been in Bible schools where it's even more closely tied with like ministry. It's also a little different because this stage of my life, I was involved in ministry just naturally more than than you know when i was 18 or 19 and going to bible school other unaccredited bible schools Um, but i appreciated their connection with actual ministry and the way that shows out most actually is that their props almost all of them are active pastors i'm trying to think i guess some of the like the staff on ebc would like they're staff with EBC, not necessarily pastors, but they were pastors. A lot of their teachers are active pastors. And so we're studying scripture together. We're, we're doing historical, cultural studies and talking about influencing people. And this isn't just pontification of like theory, but it's people who are actually doing that or have done that. Um, and so I really appreciate that connection. And then, and then the at least, at the very least, encouragement to be actively involved in some type of ministry while we're studying. Um, because, and, and one of the things that's big is kind of practical theology or lived theology, um, not just this heady thing, but, but theology that has any value is one that transforms the way we interact with the world and the way we interact with people. And what I mean by the world is, it's just people and and creation and everything. The way it shapes our, the way we do work, the way we engage with family, our neighbors, coworkers, the way we do discipleship as well. And so, I really appreciated those things about it. That's what attracted me to EBC. And so, in twenty sixteen, we were in the middle of teaching in Thailand and gave my notice that we're going to be leaving. And then it, it was actually, we, we finished teaching one more year. And then it was actually the spring of 2018 until I got started on, on Bible college. And so it's been, you know, what, almost five years since I started. And I can't describe in words the impact that this experience has had on me. There's been struggle. Um, there's been challenge. Like it's sometimes it's uncomfortable uh, studying something as personal as your theology. And maybe I'll get get into that a little bit more. But it's been really, really good, really, really powerful. However, it's a different type of goodness. 
when I was younger, you'd go to an event, you'd go to a conference, you'd go to a youth rally, or even I've been to some lower level Bible schools and you'd go to there for six weeks or maybe 12 weeks. And you'd have this really amazing experience with friends and people and yes you learned a lot and it was it was more or less an emotional high as much as it was training in bible and i'm not i'm not saying that um as an indictment on the schools themselves i'm saying that more as an indictment on myself and and the the nature of that age and that the 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 place that young people are at when they go to those sorts of things is it's an event whereas bible college is not an event it's a marathon and so you you have to constantly evaluate like are you serious like is this why are you doing this Um, because it's a lot of work and you lose sleep and one semester i fell so far behind that i had to pull three all-nighters in order to catch back up that happened to be, I believe that was a semester before I decided I'm going to cut back for a while here. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I think I'm still recovering from the loss of sleep from that, but it's, it, it requires way more of us. And, and so then you evaluate like, why am I doing this? And it, and it has to be coming from a place of love, a love for God, a love for his word and a love for people. Um, because, there are a lot of times where you feel like you're kind of down in the mud and you're behind on homework and some stuff you're not even sure if it makes sense all the time and um, other stuff you're not sure if you agree with and you're like feeling kind of conflicted internally and you're like sorting through all that and it requires you to be committed for the long haul and so the way that it's changed is not like this great high this emotional high but more it's just the daily daily habits the daily in in when you're when you're going through something daily and even if there's just subtle and small little changes and you do it over a long period of time you look back and you're like wow this has really changed me and so i would say that's kind of been how it has impacted me and so some of the things let me just share like the, the two ways that it has impacted me the most. The first way, you've probably heard me talk about this before, um, has to do with seeing and discovering the story arc of Scripture. The, the story of Scripture is all about Jesus. And before Bible college, I would have come from a church tradition and a just a yeah, theological tradition that emphasized Jesus in the New Testament. Yes, the Old Testament was good, but we didn't have a very thorough engagement of the Old Testament. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to um, speak negatively of of anybody who has trained me in the Bible, but rather just of what re- reality was. Um, so the value of that was I had a very close understanding of the teachings of Jesus. But the negative of that was that I didn't see how, you know, the conquest related with Jesus. And I saw them as, you know, in conflict with each other. Like how this is the same God. And stepping back and seeing the story arc of scripture, I would say that is the single biggest, like that has been worth all the time, all the money and everything that I've gone through in Bible college so far is just grasping that and seeing how it's one cohesive message that connects to each other. And so the, the, the way God pushes forward his story of the Messiah. In order to understand the story of the Messiah, you have to start in Genesis. You have to start in creation. And often we ask questions about the conquest kind of separated from a thorough look at what happened in Eden, right? And so like wrestling through those types of questions helps us have a better framework to understand what's going on in all these other parts of scripture. And so that's one of the ways that it has really shaped me. Another way that Bible college has shaped me for the good is I really appreciate how they 
really emphasize those that are on staff with EBC do this better sometimes <laughs> than some of their um, you know the teachers that come in for a class or whatever. But they they all do really well at emphasizing they're they're not going to tell you what the Bible's saying or what to believe, but they're going to guide the whole class in studying Scripture, and and so a lot of it that means most of our classes, all of our classes really. There was maybe one class that I took where it was more lecture-based, but all of our classes were discussion-based. So you have homework, which involved a lot of reading, whether it was a historical class, whether it was a Bible class, or a class on cultural studies. There was a ton of reading. And then you'd come and then you'd discuss the reading. And very little lecture-based, even if there was more of a lecture, like our Old Testament, New Testament backgrounds classes, those were more lecture-style. Um, some of the... His historical classes have tended to be a little more lecture style although uh, like one of the biggest ones was largely discussion based and so so I just I really appreciate that I didn't come in you don't come into the class or to the school and feel a pressure to like oh I gotta I gotta have this result by the time I walk out of this class um, as far as like an ideology or or what I believe about a certain thing. Rather, we're investigating together and they guide us and give us the tools to, to do thorough study. And then they provide discussion where we're in conversation with each other, not just as a class, but with uh, writings, early church writings, with you know modern commentaries, with our profs, with other lectures that we might watch or listen to online. Um, the, the conversation they put us into is much bigger than ourselves. And I really appreciate that. And one of the biggest things that I've seen this is that rat, like we, the, the profs have had a very gracious engagement with other perspectives and other interpretations. And I think sometimes when, when we have more of a lecture style where we're telling you how to do it, I mean, it, it really has nothing to do with lecture versus discussion based. It has more to do with the, the posture of, of the people. But it can be easy to be kind of judgmental. Like if we study scripture and we come to this conclusion, it's clear, it's obvious, right? Like, and we can be kind of judgmental on other people that have a different conclusion. And I would say one of the ways... One of the things I've observed that I've liked observing and I hope it has is slowly transferring into my life is that I'm more gracious towards people of other perspectives. And a lot of that almost has more to do with the historical studies as much as anything because any thorough study of history has to acknowledge, especially church history, has to acknowledge that God has used not just imperfect people, but there have been seasons of the church where we look back now and we think, man, it was way off base. But God kept his people through that. And so I don't know if that makes much sense or not, but that is one way. So seeing the story arc of scripture and the beautiful story of Jesus as one cohesive message, and then also... Um, the the way that the profs have embodied like handling different perspectives as we as we study scripture and allowing them to be in conversation with each other and it has led me to be a more gracious person i i have seen them be gracious with other perspectives and i hope that it has led me to being a more gracious person with other perspectives that doesn't mean like being a gracious person doesn't mean that we say, "Oh, okay, you might be right." You know, that's you. You might be right. I I could be wrong. Like, no, we're still gonna do good study and good work and be like, "No, I I really believe it's saying this." Um, how you know, convince me how? But our interaction is not going to be judgmental towards each other, but gracious as we all together pursue truth in a healthy way. So those are some some positive ways that Bible college has changed my life, shaped my life.
Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Dwell app. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dwell Audio Bible app, but this app is phenomenal. It It's changed my life in several different ways. As a Bible college student, I do tremendous amounts of Bible reading throughout the semester, more than I normally do. And I'm not a fast reader. And so one of the ways that I have been able to keep on top of the Bible reading is through the Dwell app. One one of the things I really like about it is there's very meditative, reflective music played in the background of the reader. So it's not dramatized. Some some audio Bible apps are dramatized and that's a little, I don't know, not my cup of tea. But it's a very calming and just peaceful way of having the Bible read to you. There's also, there's at least 15, I think there's close to 30 by now, different voices that you can choose from. There's many different translations you can choose from. For the ESV, I think there's maybe two or three voices, if that makes sense. But there's over 15 voices for sure. And so you can have a female voice, you can have a male voice, you can have a British accent, you can have an American accent, you can have a Canadian accent or a... Well, I like the British accent, so I listen to the Bible in the British accent, and it's it's been a really good way to keep on top of my homework, but also I have found, sometimes I'll be listening to Audio Bible as I commute someplace, or as I'm doing some other work, or even in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to wake up, you're tired, and to sit down and read, it literally feels like an intellectual exercise. You're just... It's like school, like starting your day with school. And I love learning things, but I'm not like, I don't do well at starting my day with school. And so when you wake up and you're tired, but you want you want to meditate on the word of God to just put in my Air, AirPods and listen to the Dwell app is an incredible way to start my morning, just in peaceful worship, meditation. I hear things differently when I hear it being read than when I read it. I personally think you should read and hear it both, but that's one thing I like about Audio Bible is different things stick out that didn't stand out before. I'll listen to it as I'm going on a run or something, and I can't say enough good about the Dwell app. And so if you would like to take your meditation, your Bible reading to another level, you can also, if you're not able to sleep at night, you can put in your AirPods and and listen to the scripture being read and fall asleep that way. I've used that at times as well. But you can start for free. There's a link in the description below or you can go ahead and purchase the the annual plan which I have and it's to me it's very much worth it just in the way a couple things the way it helps me uh, meditate and kind of a fresh view a fresh experience with scripture and then also the way it helps me keep on top of my homework it's been very helpful for me what about the surprises because there's been some surprises in my bible training and i'll just start off with the the biggest and the the best maybe this has been the biggest surprise and it's maybe revealing ignorance as much as anything but i come from conservative anabaptist churches i knew of before going to Bible college, I knew of maybe three people in my life. And what I mean is someone who I would see at church, at family gatherings, at like some casual event that that I would see frequently. I maybe knew of three people who had been to Bible college. I knew of quite a number who had been to college. That that was becoming a thing, but as far as specifically to Bible college or to seminary, I didn't know a whole lot of people who fit that. And I had never been pastor or even a part of a ministry really where where it was being led by people who had been through Bible college. Um, so that just kind of sets the stage of the culture and of the of the church tradition that I grew up in. And and also, like, in being conservative Anabaptist or Anabaptist in general, like, we can have a little bit of a victim mentality. I don't know if that's a good way of putting it. Or a martyr. Maybe a martyr mentality is a better way to put it. Like, that everybody's out to get us almost. Or, like, you know, it's us against the world sort of mentality. And so I went in, 
Eternity Bible College is, you know, for all practical purposes, a Protestant school, uh, an evangelical Bible college. I, I went in apprehensive to even say that, like in every class, you start out, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing? What's your church background? And I was hesitant to be like, I'm Anabaptist, you know. And to my surprise, like, that was not a negative thing. If anything, that was a positive thing. Um, you, the profs at Eternity Bible College, pretty much all of them, you know, some some didn't really say here nor there, but I've, I've received a lot of affirmation, just appreciation, affinity, even sometimes with Anabaptist theology. But more or less, like Anabaptist theology is is very accepted. I think probably the biggest one, the biggest difference where where people would have qualm with it is the the way Anabaptists relate to state. That's that's probably the one that, as far as my experience has been, like even even like about Calvinism or Arminian Arminianism. Um, conversation about the nature of salvation like there's a lot of flux among different evangelical groups about how you understand that but probably the biggest thing that sets the two apart is our view of state but I would say that there's even even like the whole thing that Christians are called to nonviolence, like that's increasingly accepted among more Protestant evangelical circles and and that's been my experience with Eternity Bible College so obviously, I think a lot of them would still vote and see it as like an essential way of of practicing your faith in America is using your voice in that way. But to my surprise, there was not like this stigma towards Anabaptists or whatever. The, the one downfall is in the historical studies, we have like a chapter on Anabaptist theology or Anabaptist history. And so, you know, you know. And then, after, like, there's the Radical Reformation. There's a chapter or two on the Radical Reformation. And then it moves on. And, and you follow the Protestant church through its growth in America and everything. And, you know, every I, there have been some books where there was reference to Anabaptist groups or something the Anabaptists was doing. But it's not like the, the history was tracing Anabaptism. So I, I would say that's the one negative. Like, they could include more... more um, to the point of like broader perspectives and having broader conversations, there could be more on Anabaptist history. But as far as the affinity to the Anabaptist theology and even even like wrestling through Luther's perspectives and Calvin, like some of the things Calvin did, like I felt like there was a pretty honest evaluation of some of those. Even it wasn't like there was rose colored glasses looking at Luther or Calvin. Um, and so it's actually like one of my like one of the things I've learned from that is I'm not sure that we as Anabaptists in like Anabaptist Bible schools do a very fair evaluation of Anabaptism. We kind of paint that in rose-colored glasses. And it's actually a really messy origin story and and even just movement and group in period. And I, And that's okay. Like we don't have to be ashamed of that or we don't have to try to cover that up or make it make it you know look better than it is like it, it it's a huge movement in history if you if you have a desire and you believe that the church should be filled with the holy spirit and not just like that you're baptized into the church and anybody can be a part of a church like if you desire a movement of the holy spirit in the church you have anabaptists to thank for that and so anabaptists have a huge role a huge place that they play in church history but there's all kinds of crazy stuff that went down and that have gone down and still go on still still go down today um and and so like i think we could be like to my surprise anabaptism in a protestant school anabaptism wasn't this big ugly thing to look at or scary thing um and they were fairly fair (laughs) in their evaluation of some of their own people, I think we could model that some as well and and be kind of a little more honest with some of the downfalls of Anabaptism. So that's that's one of the surprises. It was kind of interesting before I started Bible college, 
I had a number of people ask if this was my way of leaving the Anabaptists. And that that kind of surprised me in and of itself too. It's like, why why just because I'm going to Bible college, what why does that mean I'm leaving Anabaptists? And not only that, but it's like, well, I got to go to a Protestant school. There's not really any other... Anabaptists aren't necessarily doing a super good job of producing higher education themselves. Um, there are some out there, but there aren't any that provide the, the type of training that UBC or a seminary would give. And so that was kind of surprising to me and kind of disheartening at the beginning. Um, there was nothing in me looking to leave Anabaptist church. And I would say to the same, like it's, it's not been my Bible studies that have led me, you know, like, oh, I discovered some belief or doctrine that now it's like, now I can't be Anabaptist anymore. I can't be conservative. I think I will always be Anabaptist. There are some practices and even aspects of conservative Anabaptist culture and church structure that, that I do struggle with a little bit like not sure that it's that faithful to Jesus (laughs) which is like spurting some fuel on a little flame here to not then tease it out what do I mean by that but interestingly enough there's actually been some aspects of Anabaptist theology and practice that I've come to have greater appreciation for as a result of further Bible training. And so, yeah, don't be, don't be afraid of that. If you're someone who's been interested in pursuing Bible college, but you hear comments made like that, or things said that make you feel nervous about pursuing it, then, you know, you don't have to be afraid of that. Another surprise, and, and this one has me a little antsy, so I'll just say it. The Bible does not teach young earth creation as clearly as Ken Ham would like to make it sound. Now, everything I said in that sentence was said intentionally. Um, the Bible does not teach young earth creation as clearly as Ken Ham would make it sound. I The reason this is antsy is because the world I live in holds rather dogmatically to an Answers in Genesis view of Genesis and creation. And... So to suggest that that might not be entirely accurate is one and the same as undermining the authority of Scripture or is denying Jesus or something. And that's not true. Like, I I absolutely believe that the Scripture is authoritative. I I hold to the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. But, well, first of all, Ken Ham's view of young earth is is very new. It's been developed, fleshed out just in the last 80 years, really. And so it's not like there's not that strong evidence throughout the early church. Um, there, there were even early church fathers that were clearly old earth, believed in an old earth. Um, even if you if you look at the rise of fundamentalism, um, Williams Jennings Bryan, who's the famous attorney who argued against evolution in the in the Scopes Monkey Trial, he was not he was not a um, young Earth creationist. He just was against evolution, the theory of evolution. And so, in all the all the authors of the fundamentals were old Earth, like would have understood an old Earth creation. And so, like study that's history on one hand. So that's kind of surprising. But then even a, just a faithful engagement. So so. Answers in Genesis view is basically that, you know, you can find all the answers in Genesis, right? That's maybe simplifying it a little bit, but you take the Bible at face value, you know. It's stuff like that is always kind of funny because I don't know of a Christian who doesn't take the Bible at face value. I know of a lot of Christians who take the Bible at face value who would understand its face to be saying something different. And so the, the challenge isn't like that, oh, there are some people who don't want to take the Bible at face value. The challenge is under, like what is the Bible saying? And that is the process of interpretation. That's the, the process of Bible study. 
And what's interesting is there's a lot of just on the face evidence in Genesis itself that poses conflict with the young earth's view. Am I saying the Bible teaches old earth? No, I would say that too. Like the, if there was some heavy old earth creationist who's really dogmatic and who says you're undermining the authority of scripture if you believe it any other way, then I would say the Bible's not teaching old earth creation as clearly as so-and-so says. But I don't know of anybody like that and that's not my world. Rather, what, what Genesis is teaching like actually has very little to do with science itself. Genesis is setting a stage for a theological message. Could it be that God created the, the world in six literal 24-hour days? Absolutely, it could be. I don't think the text inherently demands that in Genesis. The, the closest thing, the, the biggest example that people would give is, is, it says, and it was evening and it was morning, or it was morning, and evening the first day, morning and evening the second day, you know, and so we take that, it's a literal day, it's a literal whatever. But, you know, if you're going to take things literally at face value, if you're going to be that literal about it, then why does Genesis 2 tell a totally different version of the creation story? And Ken Ham has a way of rationalizing that. I believe it has to do with, like he is suggesting, you know, Genesis 2 starts out before there was any bush in the field cultivated. And so that's speaking of before the fall. Problem with that is that um, if, if before there was any bush of the field, the beginning of Genesis 2, verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant had sprung up, I believe uh, the, the way... Kenham rationalizes that is that that's referring to like after the fall when cultivating the ground. The problem though is Genesis 3 starts now the serpent was the most crafty was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So I don't believe that that is referring to a, a cultivation of ground. If you're going to take it literally then you have a conundrum like okay so here's something coming from the field beast of the field before the fall. And so, you know, how do you rationalize that? The other thing, there, there's a lot of different things within Genesis. You, you get to, and my boys just asked me about this last night. We, we were reading the, through the creation story right now, pieces of it. And you get to the place where, where it says, God says that um, you should not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And my one son turns to me and says, Dad, if God said that they're going to die, why did Adam and Eve not die when they ate of it? And so immediately, you're, if any, any young earth creationist has to reconcile, why did they not actually die? Well, the way of reconciling that is to say, well, that's the first time death entered the world. And so now there's going to be a time limit on their life. Well, okay, that's might, that might be right. Could be right. But the text doesn't say that. Like you're, you're inferring something of the text. And so you're no longer taking it literally as it's written there in English. Um, and so what's to say that there aren't other aspects of that same section of scripture that are also not intended to be taken literally? So you bump into there. You, you go later on throughout the story of Genesis. You, you see that Abraham chased, I, I think it was when he came, came out to help the one king and he chases the people to Dan. In Genesis 14, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Well, this is happening in Genesis. Dan wasn't even born yet. Like that wasn't even, and we could rationalize that somehow that's maybe a, you know, who, who knows that that wasn't called Dan before Dan existed. It's like, no, like it's pretty universal that the, the author here, Moses, is using a, to, a, a place that the audience he's writing to as they're standing on the banks of the Jordan River waiting to enter the promised land. He's recounting the law with them and, and they're, they're finishing it up, putting it in writing. 
you know, they're familiar with this place. They're familiar with this location. And so he's using a modern reference as he tells the story of what Abraham, Abram was doing. Um, that's pretty universal through, throughout biblical studies. And so, again, this is another acknowledgement that there's more work that needs to be done to understand Genesis than simply saying exactly how it says is exactly what happened. That's not to say we're not taking the Bible at face value or we're like it's it's actually doing exactly that. We're gonna take it at face value and we're gonna wrestle with the conundrums and understand like what deeper things might be going on, what what may be taking place. And so I don't know how that that was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, and that was one of the things that is kind of uncomfortable to sort through. I I believe to argue that Genesis is teaching any particular scientific fact of the origin of creation is first of all putting more in Genesis than what is actually there and secondly lends itself to completely missing what Moses is trying to communicate about in Genesis and setting the stage of God's goodness. God is creator of all. He's provided life. He's created man to partake of that life and to walk in this trusting relationship with him, trusting his design for good and evil. But instead, man rebelled against that and chose to go their own way. And so all the different aspects. I've, I've done some writing on this and maybe I could do another podcast or something on that if you desire to know more. But the Genesis just simply doesn't teach young earth creation as clearly or as emphatically as Ken Ham does. So that's the surprise. But that kind of leads me to the third surprise that I'll share about here. And that is that as I study scripture, you, you, you can't help but have questions, right? Whenever you read the Bible, whenever you read scripture, study any type of history, experience anything in the world, you can't help but have questions about the world. But what's really interesting is as you do a deeper dive, more in-depth study, is you, yeah, you get those questions answered, but you discover questions you never knew to ask before. And I had a mentor tell me this early on when I started. I was kind of going through a season of, I don't know, I, I kind of forget what exactly I was sharing, but it was it was the type of thing where I was feeling a little overwhelmed and and feeling like, yeah, I'm learning, learning a lot of things. How how can I keep from, you know, kind of becoming, growing a big head out of this, getting arrogant in that, but then also like, you know, what do I do with all the things that I'm learning? And he 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 essentially said that he said, you know, the thing about training, and I'm not quoting him verbatim. I kind of forget how he worded it, but so the thing about getting higher training like that is you discover questions you never thought to be asked before. And I have experienced that to be 100% true. It's not just that like, oh, you have, you know, I've, I've gotten training and now I have a lot more questions. No, you do, you do get answers to some of the questions you have. Um, and so some of the questions that are asked, you know, before I would have had this question that I thought was like a huge question. It's like, if, you know, if I, you know, I need an answer to this question, and it seemed if if I got an answer to that question, then that would just like solve a lot of things. Well, now there may be a question like that, and I might hear people talking about that question. And I'm like, well, that question is actually easy to answer, but then it opens it opens up like there's there's a lot of other questions we also got to answer about that topic, about that conversation. Yeah, I have some examples. I'm I'm a little skittish about just sharing them without. Um, taking the time to then like <laughs> explain it further and I'm already running long here but basically it surprised me how true it is that when you get more training you discover a whole world it's like opening a door like you have this question and it's written on the door and then you get that question answered it's like opening the door to a whole new room or library of questions and that's a good thing that's why training and education is helpful, is valuable, is because we don't, we, we, we understand that there's a lot, there's, there's 
a broader scope to life. There's more nuance to life. And we don't become dogmatic, hopefully. I guess people with training can become dogmatic, but hopefully we don't become dogmatic in our conclusions because we understand that there's there's a lot of questions and challenges to these conclusions that I may have not even thought about yet, that I have a lot more to, to learn. Um, and so that's that's been the thing that has surprised me. And, and kind of an example of that is, is young earth creation. And it's like, you know, yeah, the, the more you explore that and the more you just kind of take it on, you know, even Ken Ham's terms the, and, and look into it and study it, the more you realize, oh, there's there's more questions to ask. Like there's, it's, it's not quite as simple as some people present it. So yeah, I don't, those are some of the surprises. I have by far, like I not just recommend getting Bible training, um, I recommend EBC but I also just acknowledge that, you know, a, a couple years before, well, I guess it was like six years before I started going to Bible college, but, but I had started thinking about it back in probably 2013, 2014, just a year or two after my mom was killed. And there's a lot of things I knew in my head. God is in control. God works all things together for good. God, you know, what the devil intends for evil, God is going to use for good. A lot of that was kind of heady. And I would say through my Bible college experience and discovering the story art of scripture has given me a deep calm and even sense of healing that for, for why like tragedies like that exist and what is God doing what has God been doing to respond to those types of tragedies um, I recently wrote a deep dive essay called Goodbye Mom When when Death Kisses You on the Cheek and it's wrestling through this this confusion that can happen when we when we ins- insist on finding like something good coming from a tragedy and Basically, I, I wrote an article which you can read for free. Um, it's it's a part of the deep dive, but it's called "Not Everything Is Redeemable," and that's okay to say. And if like if we don't have a grasp of the story arc of Scripture and what Jesus is up to, that might sound really scary or even despairing. <laughs> Not everything is redeemable. Like I'm hinging everything on being redeemed. Well, yeah. The message of scripture is that Jesus is redeeming creation. But there's a lot of little events that happen throughout the history of life that don't necessarily have redemption to it. And that's okay. Like this earth, this creation is wasting away. It's held in bondage to corruption and God has subjected it to be wasting away. Waiting for the day of redemption when it will be liberated from this bondage to corruption. And so um, just kind of grasping that whole story arc has helped me process grief. It's helped me understand like where God is in the moments of silence. And, and it's also helped me just take those moments of silence a little more loosely, I think is a way to say it. Um, not not demanding that I see redemption or like, God, what, what are you trying to teach me? Or what are you trying to, you know, it's just we're in a world of brokenness and that's our own fault really as mankind. And yet God is with us. That's, that's a promise that God has given over and over again is that God is with us. He goes, he, dis, he, he comes out of the temple and goes into Babylon with his people into exile, his presence. And so even though, He's grieved that we're in exile. He's with us as we're in this broken, fallen world. Um, and he's working even through like evil people at times and broken people. He's working to bring about his purposes, his redemption. And 
So the way that works is you go through a tragedy and God can use that, even though it's not redeemable. Mom's never coming back. It's not like there's anything or any experience that's going to happen that's going to be like, that was worth mom dying, right? Like that's that's what redemption means. <laughs> that was, I'm cashing that in. I'm going to redeem this. This is worth it all, right? There's nothing Maybe there is. I, I haven't experienced it. I can't think of what could be worth mom being killed for. But God is using that to do good in me and my family and other people around us as we allow the grief and the anguish to mold us, and to break us into surrendered people to God and letting his Holy Spirit transform us. Even though that's a tragedy that God did not design. He didn't want that to be a part of the world but it's a consequence of our choice to reject him. And, and so grasping that story arc of scripture and and like studying history and learning to be more gracious with people and less dogmatic about some of our conclusions, like that's an invaluable experience that I really appreciate. It's it's grown me to love God and love others better. And that's why that's the theme of everything I do is to yeah, sort through our human experiences, find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, Jesus-embodying responses to the issues we face in life so that we can love God and others from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. If your beliefs, if your study is not causing you to love God and others more, it's probably not biblical. It's probably not faithful to scripture, to Jesus. And so that's the challenge for all of us. If it's puffing us up and being harsh and arrogant, dogmatic, we're, we're probably not, we're not being discipled by Jesus. Let me just say it that way. We're being discipled by something else. So yeah, that's all I have to share in this episode. I'd love to hear any feedback you have, any thoughts that you have in light of this. I'm going to go on and share two things that I've struggled with in my in in the experience of going through Bible college, but that's just available to members of Unfeigned Christianity on Patreon. If you would like to become a member, if you'd like to access this episode, there's a link in the description below, or you can just go to www.ashawitmer.com forward slash member. Now, here's the deal. I'll quickly say this before... I head out is we're currently running our end of year full access enrollment. So typically a membership for $10 a month gets you the deep dive essays and expanded podcast. That's it. And, and the audiobook version of live free. But if I run any course, like finding my place in God's story or do any, there's a, a couple courses I have planned for 2023 to do. Um, all of those courses are typically going to cost at least $25, $35, maybe $50 a month to access those courses, or a one-time fee, which would be a lot more than $10. <laughs> For the month of December, you can sign up as an end-of-the-year full-access enrollment just for $10. I do this once a year. It's the best deal ever. And you get full access to everything that I have available or that I'm producing. Um, the exception to that would be any book or published work that I'm doing. Like You'd have to buy that, except Live Free is currently, you can get an audio version as a part of the membership. So visit asherwhitmer.com forward slash member to learn more about that. Anyways, that's kind of my experience. That's where I'm at. I am, I am uh, just recently looking at classes for the spring semester and my counselor said hey you're getting close to graduating I was like oh cool <laughs> I'm not I wasn't really sure where I'm at with that I knew I was about two-thirds of the way done but I think I'm closer to getting closer to three-fourths of the way done and um, there's going to be a bunch of general ed classes that I have to take so I'm almost done with the bible college por portion of it and there's a bunch of general ed that I take as well so It'll probably be another couple years yet at this rate. We'll see, unless unless for some reason I'm able to just dive in full 
full-fledged deeply here for a while but we'll see how it turns out anyways thanks for listening thanks for following along i'd love to hear any feedback you have or questions yeah don't hesitate if you have questions about like hey you said this and you're freaking me out (laughs) feel free to reach out i'd love to have a dialogue with you definitely before you like call start calling me a heretic or like undermining the authority of scripture reach out and, and let's have a conversation about these things it's I love scripture, I love the story of scripture, and it's brought me into a deeper love of Jesus and of the people he's made. And so I highly recommend Bible College, I recommend Attorney Bible College, and if you would like more info on that, reach out to me, I can get you get that for you. Thank you.